Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Let's start today's episode with a simple question. It's probably something that someone's asked you and likely something that you've asked other people. How did you get into coffee or bartending or working in a kitchen or the food and beverage world in general? Maybe you've given the same answer as a lot of people have. You fell into it or you took a job because you needed money. And along the way, if you're lucky, Maybe you found that you really liked your job, or you found something that spoke to you and gave your work purpose and were able to pursue that passion. Smaya Eugeneza has a story like many of us do. She wanted to save money for school, so she began working in a cafe. She then found her passion for coffee through connecting coffee drinkers in Rwanda, where she's from and currently based, with women who grow coffee. Along with being the head barista at Question Coffee in Kigali, Smaya leads tours of co-ops and helps people make connections between what's in their cup and the people that make drinking coffee possible, farmers. Along with her work at Question Coffee, Smaya is a lead scholar, which is a program led by the Specialty Coffee Association to increase diversity in leadership positions in coffee. She's also a full-time law student. And she's passionate about promoting coffees from Rwanda and generating the same passion that she has amongst coffee drinkers in the country. In this episode, we weave both Smaya's journey in coffee with the history of coffee drinking in Rwanda. And Smaya shows how powerful it is to bring these moments of connection together. Here's Smaya. So let's just start right at the beginning. Why don't you introduce yourself for everybody? All right. Thank you so much, Ashley. My name is Maya Wajaneza, and I am from Rwanda, East Africa. I'm so excited to be here today to share my story and my coffee experience with everybody who's going to listen to this podcast. I am so excited to have you, and I'm excited that we were able to make this work. Um, I like going at the very beginning. I like talking about people's uh, journeys into coffee. So I was wondering if we could start with some of your earliest memories of coffee. All right. My earliest memory of coffee is that the first espresso sip I had was memorably undesired. <laughs> I didn't yeah, I didn't know coffee until I was 17 and until I was just starting working into coffee industry. Mm-hmm. How did you get started in the coffee industry? I think I read that you initially just started working at a coffee shop just to make money. Like you weren't interested in coffee, right? Yes, I was. So I finished high school in 2015 and I, I am from a very big family of 15 kids who were almost, our lives were raised by our mother. So it wasn't really easy for a single mom to kind of be able to um, afford school for everyone. She really, she's my hero. She really tried her best to get us into secondary school. But when I was still, like in my two last years of high school, I was like, I'm going to be responsible in just two years to come. I'm going to have to either get married and get my husband for my school fees for university or I'm gonna have to hustle and you know 
I wasn't really ready to get married at 16 years old or 17 and have babies by then because that was the only option my family could see because most of my sisters also got married really young for that reason. So when I finished high school, I was eager and really laser focused on taking any job that would allow me to save for college. And the first two months I worked with my sister. She had a shop in, 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 in downtown and I was just doing my illustration, painting the portrait, selling it at her, at her shop. And there's a place I used to go buy lunch and then I would see one of the ladies making cappuccinos and lattes. As an artist, you know, you love anything about drawing. So I could see how they're making um, latte arts, leaves and flowers and, and hearts onto the cow. I'm like, I really want to know how to make this thing. So I would ask her, can you please teach me? But it wasn't really easy because her boss would count how many cups of coffee she makes a day. So for that reason, she was just like, you know, I heard that there's this company opening up and it's just going to be training a lot of people in the country. Pray for me until I get job there. I will call you once I get into it. I was like, yeah, I will be praying for you. Um, so in like two weeks or three weeks, she got a job at Question Coffee. Question Coffee was just opening up to showcase women's specialty coffee that uh, from the training programs of sustainable growers. And so in a way to make it more sustainable, they're like, let's just have a cafe that is gonna be selling coffee that we source from these women coffee farmers and all the, the money or all the proceeds goes back to them and, and train them how to grow amazing coffee and improve their lives as well. So after she got into Question Coffee, she called me, she was like, are you still interested in, in um, learning how to make latte art? And I was like, yeah, I'm so excited to learn. So I, I attended the trainings for like two weeks. I knew how to make everything. Uh, not really everything, but I knew how to make a heart on a latte, espresso. So I remember that espresso, it was my first time to drink coffee. It was extremely bitter and really bad. But that was the only way to survive and that was the only way to be able to reach out my goal. So I started, um, you know, working really hard, forgetting about experience and enjoying it and showing her that I am really into it. I really want to learn. I didn't really know that it was going to turn into a job because she didn't really make any promise about jobs or whatever. It was just something that really, a skill that I really wanted to acquire. But eventually uh, I was doing my blogging back then and I would share my, my poems that I was doing by then with her boss, with her boss by then. And she was really happy. She was like, this girl has a lot of things. She's really uh, talented. <laughs> so somehow I got recruited. And after being recruited, I was like, okay, I really need money to go for college. So that was the only goal I had. And being able to do that, being able to sustain my job, I had to become better in what I was doing making sure the clients are happy, uh, making sure that I'm fast enough, I'm efficient enough at work, I'm punctual, I, you know, I show a lot of enthusiasm. And I was so curious, after all, when I realized that you can create a lot of different coffee, I mean, coffee drinks, just around coffee. And I was 
I mean, I was so lucky to be part of the team that was really uh, into coffee, really into where coffee professionals who would always push me forward. Even at my most frustrated time, my boss, I remember my boss would come in the morning, be like, I need an espresso. And I know to serve one, I have to, to probably drink four or five to make sure it really tastes really nice. Um, and as much as you drink coffee every day, as much as you spend free time learning about coffee, we had coffee books, we have barista magazines. I would look at them and be like, oh my God, when am I gonna be in this book? But I didn't even, all I wanted was to get money to, all I wanted was to sustain my job so that I can start saving the little I earn to be able to go to, to college. So it took me about two years because I started working into coffee 2016. By 2018, that's when I joined the law college. But before that, a lot, a lot, and a lot happened. Coffee didn't really make any sense. Maybe that would continue to go with one of your questions um, about my turning point or what made me realize my goal and focus to my intentions into coffee. Coffee really, I was so, for, for, by then I was really uh, self-centered. I really wanted to get money for college, but it was until I started going out to the field. You know, you're a barista, which is one of the things that most of baristas are lacking to be able to really take their job seriously and to be able to really recognize or realize that they're the face of the industry and they've got a lot to do for the industry. It's because there's still a misconnection between them and the coffee farmers. So after uh, a new boss who actually recruited me officially came called Adam Macklin, he's amazing. Um, he asked me if I wanted to go to uh, to the coffee field to start writing the stories of these women farmers that will be shared with the buyers. I was like, yeah, I really want to. <laughs> you know, when you're new in the industry and you kind of start getting these big assignments, you're like, yeah, I want it. I felt <laughs> so special. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember I went there maybe six months after I started working into coffee. And man, Ashley, you won't believe what I saw and what I heard. Oh, I'm so excited to see you know, here. You know, you are now this young girl who's trying to build her life. And you've really been growing up in, in the city. You have never had maybe an exposure to see how rural people live or survive. All you know is that they're really one of the poorest people in the world. So now you've got a chance to go and write their stories and you see how these people are telling how much coffee means into their lives. But when you look at them, they still put on, you know, uh, clothes that still has cuts. They don't have sandals, they're shootless. You see the kids are really dirty, they're playing around. It was, it was really insane to see. I always get emotional when I start talking about that part, but um, yeah, they were just sharing me all these stories and how coffee has really positively changed their lives. And when I remember all I know that they earn, and when I look at them, but I still see smiles and hopes into their faces, hoping that everything is going to be fine. It made me realize that I had so much to do with them. 
um, that I was now starting to look um, to make sure that every day, every work that I do reflects back to them. And I'm trying to contribute, you know, all I can to make sure that, that these lives, whatever the project started, I'm contributing my part as well to make sure that the life changes. But it was so hard to see as a young person, as a girl of 17 years old by then, writing all these stories and, you know, what you see is totally different what you're hearing. But then when you see people smiling, very curious, and very motivated to work hard to, for, for, to get their life better. And, you know, what really touched me the most was when one of the women mentioned that, you know, before I didn't have health insurance. And for, for that reason, I lost the baby because I was delivering a baby at home. But since I got into coffee, I started producing coffee with these women, my fellow women here. Now I can, you know, have access to hospital. I cannot, I don't have any doubt and any worry that I'm gonna lose my baby again. And I, this other lady who was pretty old and she was mentioning that she was living in, in a very dark place. She has never seen her husband during nighttime because they don't have um, light but coffee has allowed her to have like a bulb at home where she will be able to see her husband at night. It was a lot of emotional stuff that only a reasonable and kind person could really relate to. And myself being able to grow or to come from a very huge family, knowing how much it means for a person uh, to share or to do their part to make others happy or their lives happy. I really kind of identify a little bit with them. When it's, I came back, my yeah. Oh no, go ahead. You're good. Yeah. Um, when I came back from there, my whole life changed. My whole perspective of coffee changed. I would say my yeah, my life completely changes because now I started thinking about these people all the time. Every shot I would make, every shot of espresso I would pull, I could relate to how many work uh, had to happen. I mean, how many work people had to put in to make it happen. Every bean I would see down on the floor, I'm like you have no idea how much work goes into this. So you know, I started to become more considerate, but also thinking about wanting to make sure that every work that I do really contributes a lot to their lives. Um, but, and then that, that was like the turning point for me. I started investing my time, spending endless hours studying, practicing how to make amazing latte art challenging myself into going in competition, national competitions with people of five to 10 years of experience. And I had only months in the industry and I would beat them, I would win the competitions, signature competitions that we're hosting at the cafe. You know, everything changes, everything changed. And I started now thinking about how am I going to, um, be the face of these people on extremely level, not only on the national level where a client comes in and I share their story. So I, I decided to now use my social media platform to be their face, to be their voice, after realizing how much work that they do and they're still the, what, 
the faceless people in the industry. And after learning, so I really, really invested my free time. Now my family was like, I don't, we don't know where my I lost <laughs> friends. I lost a lot of things because I was really trying to understand everything about the coffee everything from seed to cup from how coffee uh, is processed is grown brewed roasted everything and i'm still learning until now because it's an endless challenge of course a constant challenge is uh, me to 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 learn but all i wanted to do was to listen to people listen to everyone i met learn and also educate others, educate, be an example to other people around me that there's so much possibilities and opportunities for us in the coffee industry. We just have to work hard to be able to achieve them. And I also didn't really lose the sight of going to school. It was also until two years. I was not really earning as much. So it wasn't really easy for me to, um, to maintain a balance or to be able to go to school uh, before that. So 2018, I was like, this time around, I'm going to join college. I'm now in, I'm still in college still. I'm now in my third year. Um, I'm doing well. It's been really a tough time working full-time at work and going to school and traveling when I have to do and teaching people. It's been really, an amazing journey so far and I'm really so grateful about whoever I met and they really want to offer support. What an incredible journey you've gone through Um, and it's really amazing that this experience of going to the farm and meeting all these female producers, all these women producers really was a transformative moment for you and has set you on this amazing pathway. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the history of Rwanda in general, because so much of the coffee scene in Rwanda is affected by the Rwandan genocide. Correct. Um, yeah, I'm really happy that you you also brought it up because I, I always feel bad when I go places and people are like, are you from Rwanda? Oh my God, is it safe there? I'm like, this genocide thing, this horrible story was maybe 26 years you know, ago when I wasn't even born yet. We're still safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rwanda, I would say genocide on its own has been a great lesson for the whole world. Um, I think there's this saying that uh, hardship, uh, with hardship comes easy, or always things fall apart for us to realize uh, the best, or yeah, for, the, for whatever reason. But speaking about my country history, or going a little bit before the history of genocide, coffee got into Rwanda in 1904, brought by German and, and Belgian missionaries. It was introduced by then, but also under really under a brutal condition, made obligatory for every Rwandan or on, in the certain areas to grow coffee. So now think about if you were living, you know, colonization on its own wasn't a good thing. But now thinking about, you know, you didn't have, you were just growing or depending on your subsistence farming, maybe you have potatoes in your farm. And now somebody comes in and be like, 
you have to remove everything and grow coffee. And you're going to be waiting that coffee and everything about it for four years. What are you going to be eating in four years? While you were just taking your potatoes and do exchange with your neighbor, get the beans and share, share like that. So it wasn't really easy for Rwandans and for it being made obligatory for them to grow it. Um, it wasn't introduced in a very good way. So that will also link back to why Rwanda has a, doesn't have uh, coffee drinking as a culture. So after that, um, after the missionaries and Belgian colonizers uh, introducing coffee into Rwanda, the first place it was grown, it was in the western part called Nibirizi Center. And they were just bringing in red bourbon, it's the bourbon that we, we grow here in Rwanda. But there are also, we, Rwandans back then, they were not producing as much coffee that could be locally consumed and also exported. So a lot of myths were created by Europeans to discourage the domestic consumption so that all the coffees could be taken out. So Rwanda, everything that they thought about like, oh, grow this coffee, we'll be buying it from you and take it to a country. Coffee is really bad for you. It causes all these problems. So they could see the money into the cap. So instead of them drinking it or enjoying what they were growing, they would rather feel or think like, oh, drinking a cup of coffee, you tend to lower the amount of revenue that you're getting. But they were earning really less as well. So it wasn't really something uh, that was helping their lives at all. Um, and with all that, they were not doing specialty coffee at all. They were just doing a lot of everything as a whole, commercial coffee, and sell it to Europeans. And to cut the long story short, during genocide, a lot of families were involved into coffee production. And, you know, this horrible story, it was really horrible. <laughs> yeah, really horrible. Yeah, it's a horrible story, um, but worthy to share. So when the whole thing uh, happened, a lot of families were uh, were into coffee production. A lot of husbands were slaughtered or killed, um, and you, a lot of women who were their wives. But the whole the whole system was not that. The, the women were the ones selling, they were actually the ones doing the whole activities in the farm level. And when it comes to selling the coffee to Europeans, it would be the men. So a lot of women were, were growing coffee, but alongside uh, secretly with the potatoes in the farm and all that kind of thing. Um, and so during, after genocide, genocide, the entire country, we lost people in a very short time. Um, I lost my family too. Uh, not really, my family was in exile, but my aunts and, and grannies and um, I'm lucky I wasn't born for then. I wouldn't really imagine how hard it would be. But um, I grew up seeing my mom suffering a lot and I grew up being part of the groups that were against genocide ideology and trying to rebuild to rebuild the country through the youth power. Oh my God. No, that's so, a lot. Yeah. But 2003, when the new governance uh, came into after the whole horrible thing, 
it was now a new way of doing everything, almost everything, and rebuilding the country. So the system of you know growing commercial coffee was not like no no no. Let's bring in people. Let's have partnership with a lot of different international organizations who have expertise in this sector and train our people. And I guess that's when. Um, this, my company, Sustainable Harvest, and a lot of other different companies came into Rwanda um, looking to train people who are into coffee, but also motivate, it, motivate others to join in as well. Because if coffee is one of the cash crop that is earning or bringing a lot of revenues to a country, the country always tries to find a way of pushing that side. Um, but at the end of the day, you also really want to make sure, which is my current concern, you really want to make sure that the people behind that coffee you're trying to sell are happy and motivated and strengthened and inspired to stay in the industry. Then you can really say that it's going to be sustainable. You could see the future through that. But yeah, uh, Rwanda started to have a lot of partnership with international organizations. A lot of great model came into um, sustainable harvest. Started to train women coffee farmers in Rwanda how to grow amazing coffee, but also promoting them to be confident enough to stand at the market and sell the coffee beans. Not only doing the whole activity in the farm level and let the husbands to be the one taking the lead at the market. So it was more about empowering women to take leadership initiatives but also to build economic independence to them as well. Um, and of course, Bloomberg supported, Bloomberg Philanthropy uh, supported a lot of organization in Rwanda. This one is one of them on the coffee side, but there's a lot of other others here that he has been really supportive too. Um, the company started with uh, now going to uh, the company and how I would really like to give my company is a, is a great example of what happened after genocide in terms of coffee because that's what I know much better. Uh, and the government itself started to have a partnership with other local people to change now the perception of not only focusing on growing a lot of coffee, but also improving the quality after realizing that that was where, where the world is heading to. So we're we're going to make our coffee better. If we cannot produce as much coffee, at least what we can be able to produce has to be with the high, highest quality. Um, but then there are still a lot, of, a lot of challenges that I'm really, really hoping, and it looks promising for me as a young person and as one of the person here into coffee that is trying to be part of that journey. Um, what really what makes me feel a little bit concerned is always like about domestic consumption and when i say when i say domestic consumption i start with the people who grow coffee if they don't really know everything about their coffee they're not going to be motivated let alone price issues let alone anything else climate changes and stuff like that but do they even enjoy the little there they have right now do they know how to brew it how to drink it because few of them can and others cannot so i don't really see when you don't drink or enjoy something i always have concern like are you really do you really do you really like what you're doing mm -hmm. there's always a big room for you to leave that sector or that room 
when you don't really enjoy that part. But when you enjoy that thing, like for me, if I, by the time I stop drinking coffee, I will know that my coffee not ends there. <laughs> because they, I could, I don't know. So we're really trying to do our best to make sure that even if we're promoting quality at the farm level, farmers are applying these agricultural practices, but they're also being taught how to home roast how to homebrew using uh, simple tools and enjoy their coffee, then we can say this is going to be sustainable. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes, it makes sense that you mentioned the idea of sustainability being tied in with the idea of happiness and joy, which I really think is like not something that we talk about a lot in sustainability issues. The idea that you have to enjoy the thing that you're doing for it to be sustainable. Um, and I was wondering how how you like impart that sense of joy like in your life. Like how do you share the joy that you have for coffee with others? And how do you see that joy being expressed when you go on, on farm tours, for example? Because I know that you lead farm tours. Like how do you kind of connect those things? Yeah, thanks a lot for bringing the farm tour part because I, uh, in my experience doing this when I, when I take people to the farm tour and I see how happy the coffee farmers get how strengthened how valued they feel because this is what they tell me they're like oh my god we didn't know that work is worthy looking at so we now feel so empowered, motivated to even do more. You really never know how much you mean to a person just by showing up in their life. You know, I always say collaboration or support is not only by giving people money, but your time, but your presence, uh, being into somebody's life or showing up into somebody's life life might mean a lot so it's just that little spark that you put into people's life and their life completely changes and now they are sustainable just because you visited them and this is the whole feedback that i've got from both sides either the coffee drinkers going to visit the farms like oh my god all these activities we never knew that everything that we just saw this is a lot of work i'm going to be drinking more coffee so that I know that I'm being part of this cause. I'm contributing towards these people. I'm helping these children to go to school just by drinking it. So we, most of the time you find people just drinking coffee rushing at work, but you really never know how much it means or what you contributed or how much you paid for that coffee, where it is going, especially when you're buying from a great a specialty cafe that takes back to the communities where they buy from. So for me, when I make coffee, and also my experience with the, as a barista, people would come into the house not knowing what to order. And you know, it's all about how you make a person feel at the end of the day. If you're able to manipulate, it's not really negatively manipulating a person, but it's more positively manipulating, or I would say, um, helping a person to understand something much better, that it's not about coffee, and you, all, you always do that through education. So if you do not educate a person about how joy is found in a cup, 
how joy is found by a person being at the origin. I mean, going to, to visit the coffee farmers and meet them, meet the people who spend endless hours away from their families for us to be gathered in a coffee shop. I don't know, but also, I always realized that if you're reasonable and kind enough, you'll be able to get that joy. But if you're self-centered and nothing in this world means anything to you, then it's gonna be hard. Cause you know, those people are around. Yeah, but it's just a matter of educating them. Mm -hmm. If you will be able to get a cup of coffee and be able to see people through that coffee, then you know that you are sharing the joy with those people. Absolutely. But if you spill coffee, sorry? Oh, no, I just said absolutely. I was agreeing with you. Yeah, but if you just drink coffee just to drink, but you don't really think about anything, um, then you're not being so reasonable. Then there's nothing. You're not going to really have that joy and happiness. Uh, with a cup with a cup of coffee that um, you're drinking, so it's always about educating, support, and collaborate. Um, that's how I, I see joy and happiness, um, because their work makes our work worthy being at. Absolutely. them, there's nothing we can do, and I, I think without coffee producers, we wouldn't be here right now. Absolutely. So, they're the foundation, they're their heart. So we want to make sure that they're, they're happy um, and, and we're happy too. So have that win-win platform, have that family, not everybody here. Cause coffee needs us, needs us all. Coffee needs everybody to have a meaning. Absolutely. Um, I was thinking specifically about um, how many women-led farms there are in Rwanda and how many women are involved in coffee growing and selling. And I was wondering what what can other countries sort of glean or take away from the models that have started in Rwanda? Because we talk a lot about other coffee origins and about how important women are in the coffee supply stream but yet they often don't have buying power. They're often not landowners. They're often not the people that you see as the front face of a coffee farm. Um, but that seems very different in Rwanda. So I was wondering if you can talk about like the role of women specifically and what, what that could look like um, if we look to Rwanda as an example for how powerful uh, women-led coffee farms can be. Yeah, thank you so much for a great question. I think... It was just, by answering that question, it's not about being so feminist or anything, but it's always about, you know, a woman, from the cases, most of the cases here in Rwanda, even those men who are involved into coffee production, they'll be, you know, the ones selling the cherries and the women who are the ones, you know, doing the whole activity at the farm level, at the processing level. But when it comes to now improving the family, you really see a big gap. A husband is really happy to go spend money drinking. But a, a woman always think about the family, the kids. Oh, am I going, my kids, when are they going? How are they going to get to school? What are we going to eat tonight? What, like, you know, a woman in Rwandan culture is 
a heart of the family. And if it's the woman who is doing the whole activities at the farm level, and if she is the one, you know, growing that coffee with potatoes and garlic at that, she could be the one improving the quality. And that person who has spent more or who has dedicated their life in the firm level, now think about if you put them into the position of being at uh, in the place, think of, sorry, I just got distracted. Um, think about putting them into the position of, you know, leading the whole community. And when I talk to these women, they're like, oh, I saw my neighbor improving her life so fast just by being in Jacobi. It's like, I want to do the same. <laughs> so I joined the co-op just because of that. And now our kids, they always talk about the family, not only themselves, most, more, more than men do. Um, so for that reason, you really, if you really want to build a community, you really want to focus on that person who will always think about her children, but also her neighbor's children. So who thinks about the, uh, the community most? And you invest in that, per, in, in that person. So, you know, investing in women is really investing in the whole community. And for in Rwandan case as well, when Rwanda started giving opportunities uh, to women to be part of the decision making on the national level, being on the parliament, there's a huge, huge advancement development that happened in a very short time, uh, rather than it was, or uh, more than it was when women were still under minority, with no access to education, with no access to, with no empowerment, with no confidence in them. We always felt like, you know, boys, men should be the one out front, then we should be the one back. Where it's always good to be a servant leader, but you also want to be able to create confidence in that person for them to do anything that they can do. Because confidence is really key. Even if you can be able to do anything in this world without confidence, without a push, without support, there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. So I would really encourage other people to not only train women to do the whole activities back in the farm, but also motivate them to take decisions, motivate them to, you know, provide seats on the tables that make decisions for them. So that, because at the end of the day, whatever happens back up there, it's going to come back to them. So, yeah, I would really, really... Um, advise people or encourage people to really encourage women and girls to be better beings for their future. That way the future is great. Speaking of the future, um, we're living in a very uncertain time, obviously. And I was wondering how uh, the current global pandemic has affected uh, has affected you and has affected farmers and what the future maybe is looking like for you personally and also looking like for coffee farming as a whole? That's a big question. I know that. It's a big question. I'm just trying to. We can break it down. Let's start with, let's start with right now. Let's start with what, uh, what coronavirus has kind of looked like for, uh, for farmers in Rwanda and how that's affected the coffee scene there. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Actually, I, my, uh, Barista Magazine featured me in their, June, July um, 
issue, talking about how COVID has impacted uh, Rwanda. And I shared my piece there. But to be honest, when this corona thing started, uh, the whole country went on lockdown. We're all like, it was a surprise to us. You know, there was, to be honest, there was this, um, um, I don't know if I can call it a default or a bad mentality of thinking that Africa was not going to be affected, especially uh, East and, and West. We all thought that, oh, this is just, something that is really affecting Europe, Asia, but it's not gonna come here. So it was, it was, it came like a surprise. And in two days, the whole country went on lockdown. We were forced to close, we we're forced to have few people. Uh, a lot of things were actually closed, movement, unnecessary movements were prohibited. Even the cafes and restaurants that were open were only allowed to have one person. So that was the whole, and it really took a lot of time that we anticipated. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs, um, but it was, a, I would, for me, I would say it has really had a very positive and negative impact, just like anything else. However, it has really put the world in such hard time. But um, speaking of the whole country itself and speaking, uh, the whole business here, we lost sales up to maybe 95% oh, wow. of, the, yeah, of the daily sales. I remember the, because you know, in Rwanda or in Africa, most of the countries in Africa, we use motorbikes to go to work. They're pretty good. You should try it next time you come. I don't know if you've been here, but if you come, you should really try it. They could be a little bit tricky and dangerous, <laughs> but they're good. They're mo the most convenient thing ever. So uh, it was hurt. There, there were a bunch, totally. They were not allowed to be in the way. And now the, com the company had to stop paying taxis for the employees who were supposed to come. Myself, I work as a roster and the quality manager, so I would just come here a little bit, you know, like two times a week or three times a week. And mostly when I have to do the roasting and the production cupping. Um, so now you can imagine you're going to start spending more than you're earning because if uh, movements were prohibited, we were not really getting clients to come and buy coffee. So we're not getting any sales. And sometimes we have to call the accountant to send the money to pay taxis for the steps. So it wasn't really easy for the company. I wasn't seeing any hope at all and especially it came when myself and a lot of my colleagues uh, our contract terms were finishing they were like are we really gonna keep our work my school i was now studying my third year everything got it closed it was it was crazy mm -hmm. but you know it was the great time to kind of dedicate more time to your family now You've been in a crazy life, busy, busy all the time. Now you're going to be staying in, at home. So you have to start thinking about how are we going to survive? Nobody's working right now. Yes, my is still working a little bit. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't easy. The government has been really, really supportive, offering food to a lot of poor people. Um, you would go register yourself if you, you feel like you're not going to be able to get food. 
and they would give you food, give you uh, sanitizers, soaps to be able to um, uh, mitigate with the spread of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it was we were on we were quarantined for like forty days. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and after forty days, they started lift, lifting up everything. The cafe was still operating, but really under strict regulation, government regulations. Um, serving in takeouts, we don't really have food at the cafe, so it wasn't really easy. But we also figured out how we could have our coffee uh, sell online. There was just a lot of different platforms. We joined one of them. We started selling coffee bags on there, but still, it wasn't really easy. Yeah, I can but every- imagine. Yeah, everything now started ongoing, and the tours were not happening anymore. I miss the coffee women farmers. Um, until now, like um, I could just go there barely, but it has to go through a lot of different strict rules and regulations of the, the government to be able to now starting guiding tours, taking people from the um, taking people to um, to the coffee fields, but also nobody's traveling in and out. So now it was a great time for us to also kind of come up with different ideas, different tour packages of what will motivate a local person to go visit the coffee farm. So it's still a work in progress. We're still coming up, uh, getting together with government officials to be able to come up with all those different tour products that would really, uh, we're trying to source everything from local people since you, you know, this taught us to not be dependent always to international markets, but also if it is about coffee consumption, really, really promote local people. I mean, domestic consumption, uh, educate local people about their coffee, educate them that they're the ones that are part of the solution for these people who grow coffee and wait for three years and four years and a year to survive, to earn sense that it's all going to be with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it has really taught us and sharpened our minds and opened our minds um, quite a lot. That it's an interesting point. Um, that's an interesting point that you mentioned about how COVID really um, had to force you to like shift your perspective on local consumption, which is always something that um, kind of comes up at like different SCA conferences or just general coffee talks, like increasing local consumption. So kind of to maybe round out this conversation, um, let's look to the future a little bit. What are some of the things that you're hoping to achieve in the coffee industry? And what are some of your goals? Uh, what are some of the goals for yourself? Wow, that's a great question. Well, I'll, I'll start um, maybe talking about domestic consumption to be part of the solution of anything that is really affecting the coffee producers. You know, when I learn all the work that happens, at, or when you look at the, all the work that happens at the farm level, processing level, and how much eventually a coffee farm turns to get out of selling green beans, it's not even... <laughs> it's nothing, right? Right. So when you see that, if you allow the coffee farmer, who is 
who is really the person, the poorest person in this the member of supply chain, and we all know that. Uh, who is the person, the most faceless person, the most affected person in the industry? And as I said earlier, if you're kind and reasonable enough, the only thing you could do for somebody who lacks resources, who lacks education, information of what you need from them, who lacks everything, all they had is just a, uh, a farm and the property, but anything else that they don't have, and you're capable to offer that, the only thing you would do for them is to support them or give them something that will uh, pull them up. And only when they're motivated and you can really see that they've done all they could to make coffee happen. So if you provide farmers with, you know, uh, platforms or you create platforms for them to be knowledgeable about what the buyers are looking for, they'll be able to improve the quality of their coffee. They'll be able to start drinking it, promoting domestic consumption. Through, first of all, with them, because everything, for me, everything, I always think with them before mm -hmm. anybody else. Um, and then if they're able to improve the quality, then the price will also be more profitable to them. And if they have, if they're now able to add value before the coffee crosses the borders, they could be able to now sell that coffee a little bit higher then they would sell just uh, green coffee. And then you would see, oh, these, these people are doing everything locally and now supplying most of the coffee. Yes, that could be done also on the uh, consuming side, but if it starts with the origin, then they'll be able to be positioned in a space where they could be able to bargain, negotiate, and collaborate as the whole family. I always want to see the coffee industry as a family working together, supporting each other, which is not really there because most of the time it's coming, but most of the time you find one part on this side, another part on this side. And very, um, a lot of people are now starting to be bridges and connecting the world and, and really have to be part of that journey too. But now speaking about myself, um, I've been in the coffee industry for now four years. I'm celebrating my, I just celebrated my fourth year, but it, it, it feels like I've been around it for hundred years because every minute of my life within those four years has been about coffee, you know? But I think, as I said, everything that we do or anything that you could do for somebody who lacks resources, but who is motivated by support. A lot of people have seen that, you know, smiles really motivated to learn, motivated to build her career and support um, her community and inspire people around her. They jumped in and offered support and I'm really grateful for everybody. I've got so many people to thank. Uh, they really know themselves. Uh, and, you know, current, I mean, recently, SCA just gave him, uh, offered me a great, great, amazing, one and only opportunity of being a lead scholar, which has been a great, you know, one of the highlights in my coffee uh, life. It has been given me a great, um, a, an opportunity to develop myself professionally by choosing what I want to become, you know, Personally, I chose roasting, so I'm now in the future 
going to the future, I'm, I'm looking forward to finalize and graduate from roasting school as a, and be able to train my community to roast too. Um, as I am, sorry, I think my battery was going a little bit down. Um, but yeah, I'm looking, I really want to earn learn from everyone, every place as I go and be able to bring all those information and education back to my country and back to the region and also act as an exemplary or, you know, as a showcase that it's possible for anyone from any background to establish a successful career into coffee industry. Uh, I really want to, I look forward to finish my school which I don't, I'm, it's really uncertainty, as you said, with the whole COVID thing is on pause, but I, I hope we can get back to school soon <laughs> so I can graduate. And you're like, you're ready, you're ready to graduate. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I actually started writing my part, my school project already even, you know, because I really wanted to write about coffee and COVID has been one of the most interesting things for me. So I kind of feel like I'm interested in learning more about COVID and how it's going to be uh, affecting or impacting, contracting, you know, obligations uh, on the on the parties and, you know, everything about it. It's still in process, but I think I'm going to write about COVID slash coffee <laughs> or That's anything interesting. like that. Well, I... I look forward to hearing more from like what you find as you continue studying and write your project. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about you before we close our conversation? Yeah. What else? Well, I'm just that, that girl from the origin who is always curious to learn, who has, you know, got a lot of parts in the coffee industry. Coffee has made me a superstar, by the way. You know, <laughs> has made my life really trending, but what makes, what, what always makes me happy when, is when I talk or when people see my face, but they don't really see my face. They see people I represent. That really warms my heart everything I do, every step of life, every challenge I take, every skill I earn is because of the people I represent. And I really, you know, if it is not me or it's not for people, then I'll be doing nothing. So I do it all for people, not only coffee farmers really, but for everybody. When I say people behind it, I like to use that statement for the love of coffee and people behind it, I mean everybody, the whole member of supply chain, from farmers to a barista somewhere that I don't know, in Australia, that's the first I can say. Um, I really want people to come together, support each other, make coffee better for all, and you know, I really encourage baristas to share their experience with other baristas in that neighborhood, and never quit to learn, never, be like, because coffee is very dynamic. Every day is a new day to learn a new thing. So you really want to keep up with that. Like myself, I'm I'm in a very big process of learning. I'm still doing my roasting professionals. I'm still doing. I just did my my Q grader certificate in February. 
Uh, I still want to go through the competition. Uh, I told you that I've been able to engage myself and participate in a lot of national, international uh, competition. And one of the best that I've ever had was Aerobis Championship. Because <laughs> you won, right? Everyone. I did. So I won the East African Aerobis Championship 2018. You know, my coffee life is pretty long within a very short time. So being able to tackle down every point is just so hard. But if you need, if you ever know about something about me that I didn't mention, feel free to put it in. But yeah, I did the Aeropress Championship 2018. I became a champion in East Africa, and I I proceeded with international. That was held in Sydney, November 2018. Had a great exposure there too. I didn't really make it to the final, but at least I earned I earned the skills. I connected with about 59 um, 59 competitors from everywhere in the world. I was we were only two Africans, so I felt so happy that we could still map Africa continent in that competition. And Aeropress has been really, really supportive in my life too. They've been giving me such amazing media exposure that I could never thought about. And they're keeping connecting me with a lot of people to share my coffee experience, promote my country, promote Rwandan coffee. Um, and one of the most important thing I really want people to know is that Rwandan coffee, yo, it's one of the best coffee in the country. I mean, in the world. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Rwandan coffee is such a unique coffee because every part of the country has its uniqueness. When you go north, it has a uniqueness. When you go east, they all, they're a little bit distinct on their own. Um, you know, working with Question Coffee that works handy with a lot of farmers around the country has allowed me to taste all these the corners of, of, of the country and I've learned so much about this coffee. If you haven't tried the Rwandan coffee, I don't know. You're missing out a lot. You're so, missing out. <laughs> you're missing out. Well, Samaya, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's such a great pleasure to meet you here. And I hope that our path will ever uh, cross sometime. One day. One day. And I, will, I look forward to having you in Rwanda, too. I would love to go to Rwanda. That would be amazing. Well, thank you again. Yeah, so thank you so much. And drink coffee. Think about everybody around us who contributed to make that thing happen. That was Smaya Uwajaneza. You can follow Smaya at wise underscore Smaya. And she was also on the cover of the August-September 2009 issue of Barista Magazine. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.